G'day mate, what's going on this week? Welcome to episode 41 of the Exponential Performance Podcast. In this week's episode, Exponential Performance Coach Nick Taylor is sitting down with nutrition guru Cliff Harvey. Now if you remember back to episode 28 of the podcast, I reviewed a book about the carbohydrate appropriate diet. Well Cliff Harvey is the author of that and other books. So Nick sat down with him and talked all things low slash appropriate carbohydrate, keto, ketogenic diets. It's all in there. So I'm going to shut up and we're going to jump straight into it. Here it is. Welcome to the Exponential Performance Podcast. Join sports scientist and performance coach Maddie Graham to find out how to train smarter and maximize your performance no matter who you are. Hello everybody and welcome back to the nutritional segment of the Exponential Performance Podcast. It has been a while since you've heard from me, but I am back today with a fantastic interview with Dr. Cliff Harvey. Now, Dr. Harvey is a registered clinical nutritionist. He is currently working on his PhD in ketogenesis and carbohydrate-appropriate nutrition. He is the the forefather, so to speak, of the term carbohydrate-appropriate nutrition. And you might remember Maddie did a, a segment on a book called The Carbohydrate-Appropriate Diet a few months back, uh, and that was a book that Cliff has actually written himself. Cliff also has a diploma in naturopathy and fitness training, and he's also the founder and formulator of a company called Newzest. Now, they create the product Clean Lean Protein and Good Green Stuff. He's also the founder of the Holistic Performance Institute, which is a leading institute in New Zealand for nutritional education, especially at a postgraduate level. And he is really New Zealand's go-to man for all things low-carbohydrate and ketogenic. And he is also a world-renowned speaker on this topic. Um, he's written a handful of books. He owns a publishing company. And he has coached a numerous number of high-performing Olympic and Commonwealth Games athletes from a nutritional point of view. And Cliff himself has also been a, a world champion in weightlifting before. Um, and he's got so much, so much knowledge in his brain. Um, we are going to have a real good kind of geek out, as Maddie Graham would call it, on this podcast. Um, we'll try to keep it as light as possible to make it easy to understand. Um, but I hope you hope you really enjoy it. Cool, I think we're all good to go. Um, so Cliff, there are, there are many different terms, uh, low carb, high fat, keto diet, um, fat adaptation, um, and now carbohydrate appropriate diets. Can you give us a brief description on the differences? Yeah, sure. Um, I'll just basically run through sort of a definition for, for all of those, because then I think with the definitions, people will be able to understand the, the difference well between them um, and sort of, you know, the overlaps and what. So when we talk about LCHF, we're talking about low-carb, high And I think we need to also mention the LCH high protein because I think that's probably the, the, the missing link at the moment for many people. Uh, you know, a lot of people are following LCHF or low fat and because of that I think some people have become the protein for various reasons. Uh, but we need to really view all of those things as generally being under low carb, not different outcomes. You know, some people might benefit more from 
LCHF approach. Others might benefit from a low-carb, high-protein approach that's a bit more moderated in fat. Um, so moving on from there, we have ketogenic really a subset of LCHF, and we have to LCHF is pretty well undefined. So when we look in the in the research, basically any about 45% of calories from carbohydrate is considered low carb. Uh, although most of us obviously in the low carb world wouldn't consider a diet with 45% of its calories being low carb, but that's basically less than the current diet, dietary recommendations. So that all of those things fit under low carb. As you start to get more and more carb restriction, there's a greater tendency for people to produce more ketones. Eventually, they will be in that state of ketosis, which is where the body's producing ketones, which are an alternative fuel uh, that most tissue, including the brain, can use. And so it's a little bit um, you know, self-explanatory, but a ketogenic diet is any diet that elicits that state of ketosis. In, in real terms, what that means is it needs to be very carb-restricted, and it needs to have high enough fat that the body is encouraged basically to convert those fats into these ketones that the body can use. And so um, now when I talk about carb appropriate, and this is a concept I've been throwing around for 20 years now, what I'm really trying to describe is the spectrum of diet that people could be on. And so we need to understand that despite the fact that people have probably been told to eat too much carbohydrate over a long period of time, that there are still people that thrive on a high-carb diet. And although probably most people benefit from a lower-carb diet as compared to those old-style old dietary guidelines, where they should actually be is very individual, and it depends on a lot of things from, you know, perhaps genetics through to, uh, you know, ethnicity and how those two things tie in together, ethnogenetics, through to how the person has eaten over a long period of time because that can change how they're storing fuel and using fuel, and most particularly what their activity levels are. So there's a lot of nuances there that can really change whether someone should be on, let's say, a keto, low-carb, or moderate-carb diet. Mm. How's that for an elevator pitch, mate? That's a very a very detailed answer, and I knew you would, would jump straight into, into some very scientific terms. <laughs> um, so we'd better just cover, I mean, you, you mentioned ketones as a, a fuel option that most tissue can use. Um, so loosely, can you describe how a ketone differs to glucose? Yeah, so the brain and central nervous system in particular typically only use glucose for fuel. And that's, or predominantly use glucose for fuel, I should say. And so that's what we learn, you know, at the undergrad level is that the brain and central nervous system pretty much just run on glucose. They run on sugar. But if higher levels of carbohydrate are not available, although the body will produce quite a lot of glucose internally anyway, if it doesn't have that top up by diet, it's not going to have enough to fuel the, the brain and central nervous system because they're pretty hungry organs. And so it needs to start producing something else to fuel the brain and central nervous system. And it does that by converting uh, fatty acids from fat and some amino acids into these compounds called ketones, uh, which basically the, the brain can use very effectively. So in terms of the, the brain and central nervous system, there's really not a lot of difference between glucose and ketones in, in terms of how much they're able to be used. Uh, ketones provide a little bit more fuel than glucose, so some people would say they're a lot more efficient. <clears throat> and for certain outcomes, it can be preferable to have some different fuels as well because 
a, a lot of people are overloaded in glucose and they end up being quite inefficient with their glucose use. And so for the brain and other tissue, if we're overloading with sugar and we can't really use it all that well and we've got high levels of blood sugar floating around, that can actually be quite damaging. You know, it can create this additional oxidative damage and it can also create glycative damage, which is when, in simple terms, sugar sticks to proteins and stops them doing their job properly. So there's a number of benefits to having high levels of ketones floating around in the blood as well. Perfect. And that kind of... Um, covers one of the questions I was going to put, put to you around the benefits of, of shifting to this lower carb appro uh, approach to eating. Um, in terms of, um, I guess, that, that fat adaptation and, um, you know, there's a few people in the endurance world that will bounce around the term uh, fat adapted or um, I think it's hashtag fat adapted is the one they, they um, <laughs> yeah. and that's simply just a, a process of, of shifting that eating style to a lower carb approach approach and forcing your body to better metabolize the fat is that correct yeah that's that's exactly correct and so really that's the that's the process by which someone would become more fat adapted however i think what's really important to understand is that you know a lot of people out there nowadays who are particularly you know particularly people who i call the ketophiles the people who are basically it's got to be you know, all keto all day, or, you know, it's all keto or nothing kind of thing. They sort of assume that being keto adapted or producing ketones and using ketones is the same as being fat adapted. And it's really not because there's no good reason why someone can't be fat adapted. In other words, burning fat really well as a fuel source, using fat really well as a fuel source and still eating appreciable amounts of carbohydrate. But the reality is that many people who overeat carbohydrate, they become very dependent on that. And so that reduces their, their relative fat adaptation. So in a real world sense, what a lot of people need to do is to reduce their carbohydrate intake a bit, uh, become more fat adapted, and then they can use fat more effectively as a fuel during their endurance activity. But it certainly doesn't mean that everybody needs to be you know, on keto or basically eating zero carbohydrate. Mm, I think that's a really good, um, a really good explanation, I guess, as to the difference between, like you said, total ketogenic is the way to go versus that fat adaptation for for sport performance, especially. Um, and it kind of yeah. leads on. I mean, I remember sitting in undergrad lectures at phys ed school, and it was, you know, if you were doing ten to twelve hours of endurance training a week, you had to be on ten grams of carbohydrate per body weight per day um, to be, you know, optimal. Um, which would be, you know, a, someone like myself, you know, close to 90, uh, 900 grams of carbs a day, um, which is just ridiculous. Um, <laughs> but there seems to be a, a very definitive split now in the um, in the research and some of the, the top sort of sport nutritionists that are still pushing that kind of high carb as the way to go. And then the, the others that have come on board and, and looking at some of the research and saying that, well, actually, no, the lower carb is a, a better option. Um, if someone was sort of sticking to that traditional approach and thinking maybe I'd like to go down this lower carb approach, um, where, where do you think someone could start in terms of addressing what might be best for them? It's a really, really good question because, you know, one of the things that I've been attempting to do through our research, the research I do with uh, the team up at AUT is to, to try and find some good clinical markers that we can use to actually determine what someone's optimal level of carbon take should be. 
because that is going to be somewhat variable. And while we have a few interesting things that we're analysing at the moment and, you know, may put out in some papers coming up, there's nothing that's really clear at this stage that can sort of say, well, if you have these particular markers or you're this particular type of person, you should eat this amount of carbohydrate. So there's nothing really clear at this point with respect to that. So we have to go back to basics and start to do some self-experimentation. And so this is why in both, you know, the, my book, The Carbohydrate Appropriate Diet, and the, the later ebook, uh, The Keto Appropriate Diet, I posited that people should titrate their dose of carbohydrate. And an easy way to do that is to start to sequentially reduce the, the highest carbohydrate foods. So one way you can start is to basically to start to pull out some of those carbohydrate foods, eat ad libitum around that, in other words, as much as you desire around that, until you feel that you are getting those results you desire, whether that's you know loss in body fat or greater fat adaptation or performance. So that's one way to do it is to basically start to slowly bring those carbohydrate levels down until you find your balance. The other way, of course, uh, my colleague Simon Thornley said, "Oh, why can't you start at the other end?" And I said, "Well, of course you can. You know, you can start at the other end and avoid basically all obligate carb foods." and then start to slowly add some back. So what that means is you'd start by being basically on a ketogenic diet, avoiding uh, you know, sugar, fruit, grains, tubers, legumes, and then maybe start to add a little bit back, you know, particularly in the time after training or maybe in your evening meal or whatever it happens to be, to bring back a little bit of carbohydrate intake so that you can find where your optimal level is, where you're fat, fat adapted, but you're also not bonking when you've got periods of high intensity work within your endurance sessions. Mm, I think, um, I mean, the, the high intensity side of things is something that as the, the endurance training world has kind of moved to including a lot more high intensity work instead of the long steady state. Um, yeah. has been something I know I've, I've struggled with that in the past myself with trying to make sure I've had enough carbohydrate available for those high intensity sessions but keeping to a, a yep. lower carb approach throughout the day. Um, and I know in your latest book, you talk around um, carb backloading. Um, and I think that's possibly yeah. something that, um, you know, might be quite interesting for people to understand what carb backloading is and how they could utilize that from a, um, an endurance point of view. Yeah. And carb backloading is a really good example of a, a technique that can help people to comply and to, to, to get great results, right? It's not magical. And I think even the people who started the, the whole idea of carb backloading, they've now recognized that a lot of the sort of pseudoscience they were talking about is not really valid. What it really allows is for people to limit their intake of carbohydrate because it's a very short feeding window and they're unlikely to overeat either in total or overeat carbohydrate, which would be detrimental to their goals. So the, the idea with carb backloading is that you basically don't eat carbohydrate or obligate or you know, any appreciate, uh, appreciable carbohydrate through the day. And then you have a big protein fat dinner with lots of vegetables. And then afterwards, if you're still hungry, that's when you've, you basically have the freedom to eat the carbohydrate foods that you desire. Now, it doesn't work for everybody because some people, um, you know, might overeat through the day anyway, and then they're just adding in the extra after dinner. 
But for many people, it does work quite well because of that very restricted feeding window. Uh, and this is what I find for myself. It's, it's virtually impossible for me to overeat and, you know, eat too many calories consistently and therefore gain fat um, <laughs> if I'm carb backloading because I just don't have the stomach for it. I can't eat enough in that short feeding window uh, to sort of offset any beneficial results I'm getting. Mm. And I know for someone like myself, that I, makes sense. <laughs> yeah, no, it does. I mean, I, I spend I spend a lot of time out of the house, so you know, it tends to be can be breakfast and lunch are away from home, and I struggle to find good sort of quality sources. So when I sort of adopt more of a carb backloading approach, um, when I'm at home, my, my sources of carbohydrate are a lot greater um, from a, a uh, micronutrient sorry point of view than they are if I'm finding them in a cafe. So it tends to work a lot better in that respect as well. Yeah, I mean, that, that's a good point too because obviously you've got the, the control at home and, mm. um, you know, it ties it really well with the idea of fasting too because a lot of people are talking about fasting now. Obviously, it's sort of the trending thing hot on the heels of keto. And again, it, it's been around for a long time. You know, thousands and thousands of years people have fasted for various reasons, be they physical or metaphysical, you know, spiritual, religious, whatever. And more recently, it's been looked at as a viable way to lose body fat, improve insulin sensitivity, you know, reduce various of these cardiometabolic risk factors. So there's all these benefits. And people talk a lot about the potential mechanisms that are causing that. And while some of those are pretty interesting, things like autophagy, you know, where your body's breaking down dysfunctional tissue and things like that, that's really cool stuff. But we'd still have to probably go back to basics and say the, the major effect of fasting is that it restricts feeding windows and people auto-regulate more effectively. And as you know, I talk about auto-regulation all the time because I think it's such an important concept in nutrition that's often missed. And auto-regulation is basically finding the strategies that allow you to eat to comfort and satisfaction, but still within that not overeat. So for, for some people, that might be a high-protein diet. For others, it might be a keto diet. For others, it might be, you know, I've got friends who follow the starch diet. And that works really well for them because, you know, sit down and eat a bowl of boiled potatoes, it's pretty boring. You don't want to eat too much of it. <laughs> and so that's a way for people to regulate their calorie intake. Similar to fasting where you've got short feeding windows, that limits the amount that people can eat. And that's important nowadays because we live in, a, in an environment of food abundance rather than food scarcity, which is what we've evolved to be in. Mm. Yeah, a bowl of boiled potatoes doesn't sound very nice at all. <laughs> no, but I tell you what, the, um, the starch diet for some people is very effective for yeah. that reason. You know, if you're not adding, if you're not eating high protein, and you're not adding a lot of additional oils to meals, and you're pretty much just eating, you know, whole grains, but in very unrefined contexts, and if you're eating potatoes and things like that, it's actually quite difficult to overeat as well because you know. You can just think about it now. That's not a particularly appetizing meal. It's not Moorish, you know. No, no, exactly. No. Okay. <laughs> Interesting. Um, now, I mean, we've kind of been bounced around from, um, I guess, ketogenic to carb appropriate. But from an endurance athlete point of view, if there's people out there listening that are again thinking hmm, this could be something I'd like to, to try. Um, what would be, I mean, maybe three, you know, three or four key things that they could do today or tomorrow to kind of get themselves on that pathway? 
Well, I think that the big thing is if, if someone needs to become more fat adapted and become more, really what we're talking about with fat adaptation is metabolic efficiency, right? Having the, the proper levels of efficiency where you're burning fat well, so that can provide your baseline fueling. Then the carbohydrates basically sit in on top to help fuel high intensity activity. And so the only way that we can improve our metabolic efficiency or our fat adaptation if we're not already very efficient is to basically change our macros. So the most important thing is to reduce carbohydrate. Now there's, you know, as I mentioned before, from my point of view, there's there's really three ways to do that. You can either see someone who can map it out for you. So in other words, you see a nutritionist or dietitian, someone who, you know, hopefully is qualified, credible, and understands LCHF. But you can see someone who can plan it out for you. Or you can go one of two directions. You can either go into the deep end and just try and become far more fat adapted and keto adapted straight away, which is basically to avoid carbohydrates predominantly and be on a ketogenic diet or slowly start to reduce that carbohydrate intake until you feel like you've found that balance. So really dietarily, those are the three strategies I think that work most effectively for most people. Uh, one other thing I think can really help, and obviously this is the area of my master's research and I'm unashamedly quite a big fan, is I think MCTs are a, a pretty interesting supplement for people to take. Uh, they, they definitely increase the fat with burning. Uh, they're ketogenic by nature anyway. and uh, In other words, they're converted to ketones. They encourage the creation of ketones from other fats as well. And interestingly, there is some research at least to show that when we take MCTs, without realizing it, we choose to eat less later on. And so that helps with that whole autoregulation aspect. If our calories can be appropriate, and we're slowly reducing our carbohydrate or drastically reducing our carbohydrate, the reality is we are going to become more fat adapted. So you've basically achieved it if you're doing those things. Mm, okay. Um, and, and just in case people haven't come across MCTs, uh, Cliff is referring to medium chain triglycerides, which are, um, I guess, derived from coconut oil um, and come in a, a liquid oil that can be added to, to smoothies, coffees, etc. So there's a few, a few brands out there on the market exactly. which we, we might cover uh, uh, a little bit later on, um, but that probably cool. I guess MCTs leads on to um, exogenous ketones, and I know you've just published a paper recently around exogenous ketones, um, and there's a various amount of different supplements out there now that claim to to put people into ketosis, um, you know, within 30 40 minutes, um, and as as simple as taking a supplement like that and entering ketosis or is there a wee bit more to it? <laughs> yeah, and again, it's it's such an interesting debate at the moment because you'll have, you know, the, the people saying that you can basically take this supplement and you'll be in ketosis 30 minutes later. Others saying that, no, it's nothing like ketosis because you're just taking ketones. So, you know, it's like taking creatine. You supply creatine to the body it doesn't mean that the body's producing more creatine. You're just taking creatine. It's exactly the same with ketones. You're not creating ketones within the body or encouraging fat adaptation or keto adaptation. You're just providing the ketones. So I think we need to step back a little bit from that. And something that I've talked about a lot, and I actually talked about this in the, the Keto Appropriate Diet book as well, is we need to actually look at ketosis versus ketones. So what really happens there? So ketosis is a metabolic state. We're producing ketones and we get the benefits of being sure more fat adaptive because that's going to be part of the keto adaptation process as well. Although they are distinct, they are also linked. 
But part of the benefit, of course, is just having those increased ketones. So when we take ketones, we're not in ketosis. We don't necessarily have increased fat adaptation. We haven't had those mitochondrial changes that occur in ketosis and ketosis proper, but we do have increased ketones. That in itself can be beneficial because if we're a keto-adapted or fat-adapted athlete and we just want to provide more fuel, we have a couple of options. We can either take an oil of some sort or we can take a carbohydrate you know, drink or gel or we can take a ketone product. And so if we didn't want to necessarily you know, overload with glucose or reduce our fat burning by taking carbohydrate, then ketones can provide a really viable fuel as part of our mixed fueling strategy. Uh, similarly, if we have a health condition that might benefit from increased ketones, and here I'm particularly talking about neurodegeneration, Alzheimer's, cognitive decline, um, seizure control, epilepsy, migraines, we can get really great results by being on a ketogenic diet. But for those conditions in particular, it actually needs to be quite an aggressive ketogenic diet to get the increase in ketones that we require. So a far easier option for people that still is improve the health generally, possibly even more so than nurturing the aggressive ketogenic diet, but also allows them to have the ketones, is to be on a, a generally lower-carb diet and using ketones as a supplement to provide those fuels to the brain and possibly also using some other things like MCTs. So it's really a question of what what's our outcome? Is it to be in ketosis and really drastically increase fat adaptation or is it to be maybe on a good natural and processed diet that also increases fat adaptation, but maybe not to the same level and achieve those levels of higher ketones in the blood because that can have a lot of benefits as well. Mm. I, um, I mean, I know you know that I'm a, a bit of a hacker when it comes to uh, my, my health and so forth. And I mean, I've used exogenous ketones and basically in that way to, to give me an additional fuel um, around endurance training and even just work, you know, to make sure I'm, I'm on top of my game. Um, do you yeah. recommend them for your for any athletes that you're coaching at the moment to use? Uh, yeah, I mean, it's a it's a really interesting area because the the research is really unclear at the moment on particularly performance benefits. And I think that's because we have a very limited population of people who have actually been on low carb, have become really well fat adapted and really suit that. But we're certainly working with athletes, you know, Ironman athletes and other endurance athletes who are using a low carb approach. They're using mixed fuels like ketones, MCTs, superstarch and getting extraordinary results. I mean, a lot of the top finishers at this year's Topo Ironman were, were low carb athletes. In fact, uh, the Dan Plews uh, broke the master's record, didn't he? Yeah, from, from yes, I think he did this. I remember. Yeah. I mean, yeah. yeah, and he's he's a low carb athlete who uses ketones mm. and has a mixed fueling approach. And so there are certainly enough anecdotes now. Now, whether that applies to everybody, who knows? But there are certainly athletes who are using ketones, and there are athletes who are using low carb approaches and getting fantastic results. What we've also begun to see is really interesting stuff because athletes who aren't on a low-carb approach necessarily, and here I'm talking about tennis players, uh, American football players, rugby players, are using ketones for other purposes. So they might take ketones, in the case of contact sport players, before a game because those extra ketones can help 
as a prophylactic against concussive injury. So if they take a bump to the head while they're playing, there's less likely to be the same amount of damage inflicted because they've got those ketones which have to protect the neurons. Um, other athletes like tennis players and even you know, chess players who wouldn't <laughs> consider athletes, but people who are wanting improved cognition are often taking ketones for that purpose as well. Now, this is particularly true if we have had any sort of head trauma. We can often benefit a lot from, from ketones as a, as a brain fuel. Uh, you know, I know you and I have talked about this before. I quite often take ketones during the day, and it's, it's purely because I work probably too much. My partner tells me I work too much. Um, and, you know, I'm, I'm researching. I'm finishing my PhD. I've got research outside of that, running several businesses, you know, going around the world to speak and doing all these sorts of things. My, my brain gets pretty exhausted. Add to that, I've probably had in the region of 10 moderately serious concussions, either playing footy, wrestling, or, you know, boxing and getting punched in the head. And I think that there has definitely been some trauma there that is somewhat irreversible. And so anything that's going to provide the fuel and help to promote that healing of the brain and reduce inflammation as well. You know, I've got uh, Crohn's disease, which is an inflammatory disorder. And so all of those things combined, there can be a lot of benefits from taking a supplement that has a lot of different courses of action. Mm. Mm, okay. And I mean, there's, there's obviously there are a few out there now in terms of these supplements, but is there any that the people are interested in trying some? Is there a way they can get some of them in New Zealand? Uh, I've got a few international listeners, but I'd say most of them will be New Zealand based. Yeah, the, there, there are a lot entering the market. And I think one of the interesting things now is it's, it's, a, it's sort of the wild west out there a little bit. There's a number of different patents that are out there. And while they're all at this point, pretty good. There are going to be more brands entering the market, some of which are likely to be pretty poor quality. Mm. And uh, I think one of the things that's emerging at the moment is the form of beta-hydroxybutyrate is really important. So when we're talking about ketone salts, which pretty much all of the products are, are ketone salts at the moment, uh, you can either have two forms, you can one of two forms. You can have the L form or D form. And so typically when they create these things, there's a mixture of D and L created. But the, the, the idea is that the L form isn't really used well within the body. So if you have a product that's 50% L and 50% D beta-hydroxybutyrate, which is that ketone, you might only really be getting a half-strength product. Um, and it's, it's for that reason alone that I use a particular product. I use the um, Prove It Keto Max because the, the Keto Max range is 100% D form. Uh, so I figure, although it's slightly more expensive than the others, when you amortize it to the actual amount of usable beta-hydroxybutyrate you're getting, it's probably better value. Um, and it's a you know, high-quality product. So that's typically the one I use. And unfortunately, they haven't released properly in New Zealand yet, but they are releasing soon for direct shipping. And in the interim, um, we can obviously sort out starter packs for people to try so they can at least try the product and see if they like it. If they're getting results, then obviously, um, you know, we can help them sort out a supply of that as well. Mm, that's, yeah, it's, it's really important, I think, about the uh, the quality and the forms um, of these sort of supplements, especially when they're coming from outside of New Zealand and we don't quite know. You know, you can't walk up to the factory and have a look um, ourselves as most normal people. Um, so it's, it's really good yeah. to, to get some some idea. And I know... There's quite a few other sort of leading nutritionists around New Zealand that are using that that Prove It brand. 
um, with some of the work they're doing, um, which is also, I guess, a good mark in terms of the quality of what they are, what they do. Yeah, I think that, you know, I like to always make the point that, of course, I disclose my conflict of interest. I own a company that sells supplements, both, you know, through the Newsies company, but also through Nutrition Store, um, which is, you know, one of my companies, which is a distributor of various products. But I don't need to sell any of those products. The reason we get them in is because we we really like particular things and we look for the best one that we can find and then we put it out there. Uh, because I'm not really committed to any particular brand as a you know devotee. I basically am committed to finding the best products for people. So while something is the best product, of course, that's what we're going to put out there and sell. Um, and a lot of that comes down to personal experience as well. I know that you know you've tried a lot of different approaches with the supplements you've taken. Mm. And I'm the same. I self-experiment and I've bought in some other products of various types, but particularly with the keto products, I've bought in a bunch of other products from offshore to try to see if they would you know, do well in the store or see if I got good results from them. And to be honest, most of them I can't stomach. And I think that comes down to the, the blend of salts that are used. If that's not a very eloquent blend, I mean, you can end up just getting an upset stomach. So... Uh, that, that's something to be considered is how gentle is it on the stomach? How can you actually take it? And then what's the effect in the body? Because is it the usable form? Yeah. And yeah, that's, that's, a, that's a great a great kind of bleed into to a quick conversation around your nutrition store dot online, um, which which people can certainly check out. It's based in Auckland. Um, and that's that's how I would sum it up if I had to tell someone else. It's, it's a, you know, it's a nutrition store full of, interesting health products that are sort of almost cutting edge um and what they're doing um and we have on this podcast talked about the UCAN before um and i'm a huge advocate uh-huh. of UCAN as a super starch for an endurance fuel that isn't going to have some of the effects that your your traditional higher carbohydrate um fuel would um, but you can also go yeah. over there and pick up the the mct oils that we talked about um and some interesting bars and and supplements as well um but also some of cliff's books are on there aren't they cliff yeah so people can keep uh, most of my books there uh, i think at this stage the keto appropriate diet which is the latest one is on an exclusive to amazon at the moment um but yeah all, all, all the books and all the links to things can be found at nutritionstore.online mm. exclusive to amazon that's good you're starting to to sound a little bit more like tim ferris every time i talk to you <laughs> Yeah, well, Tim, Tim's a good bugger, and he's he's been nice enough to um, endorse my stuff before. So yeah, uh, nice. I, I'm a big fan of Tim. He's a cool guy. Yeah, yeah, he is. Now I, I do strike some similarities between the two of you quite often. I find. <laughs> yeah, um, and so I'd like to say I'm a, I'm a little bit more scientific. Tim's probably a little bit um, has a bigger bank balance at this point. Yes, yes. Um, yeah, um, I mean. That's probably all the, the major questions I had for you, Cliff. Is there anything else you'd like to add in as a, as a wee kind of, um, I guess, take-home messages for some of the listeners around this sort of stuff? Yeah, I, I think, you know, one of the one of the things that I'm really trying to push at the moment is just know, know where you're getting your advice from. You know, there's I see so much misinformation nowadays because we're, we're in the social sphere all the time. And, you know, it's almost as if people are just, there's so much noise in the peanut gallery. And I think to, to really look at the people who, who know their stuff, who are credible, qualified, 
uh, and are giving a really good pragmatic message. Because as soon as someone is telling you that it has to be one way and there's no other option, they're typically trying to sell you something or they just don't understand because there are a variety of approaches that can work. You know, the human body is such a resilient, amazing thing and we are the perfect omnivore. And so if I have a client, for example, who's thriving on a vegan diet and they eat 80% of the calories from carbohydrate, they're ripped to shreds and their bloods look amazing, I'm going to say, dude, keep doing it because what you're doing is working. Alternately, if it's not, then we'll make a change. And so I think finding the approaches that work for you, listening to the body and being more mindful, both in terms of what's happening, but also the media that you're absorbing and who you're listening to, I think is a critical thing uh, for long-term health and happiness. Mm. And I think that the, the comment about the media is probably the the crux of it really, isn't it? There's so much of social media and also mainstream media um, you know, we'll jump onto things and um, one day they're the best thing and then next week they're telling you how bad it is. Um, so it is important to, <laughs> exactly. to, find, to yeah. Find, yeah, find people that have, have done done their time in terms of researching and, and working with people that um, have been in, involved with various um, different types of conditions and um, different sports and so forth. Um, and you're more than welcome to, yeah. to reach out to, to me if you want to find someone in your local region. Um, and I can touch base with Cliff and we can find someone that's that's suitable in your in your region around New Zealand especially. Um, Sounds good to me. Yeah. But thank you very much, Cliff, uh, for giving up your time to, to chat to me. It's always a, always an interesting chat and I always learn something when I hear you speak. Um, and maybe down the track we can get you back on and, and do a follow-up. I'd love to, Nick. It's been a lot of fun. It's been cool. Cool. Thanks, mate. Well, there we have it, team. I hope you enjoyed listening to that as much as I enjoyed talking with Cliff. Uh, a couple of the things he touched on, the Nutrition Store. Uh, the website for that is nutritionstore.online. And there you'll find the products he was talking about, the MCT oils, and even some of the products he has formulated, the Clean Lean Protein and Good Green Stuff. Um, you'll also be able to find a contact for him around getting some information around some of that ketone products. Um, so you can either get in touch with him uh, or you can get in touch with me and we can get you the right sort of information and look at trying to get you a, a 5 or, or 10 day sort of sample pack to try. Now I'm more than happy to, to take questions from stuff that he has talked about and I can kind of put them to Cliff and we can get some answers for you. So just send them through via email. Um, I'll get Maddie to put some information in the show notes on how to get in touch and we will be talking to you very shortly. See ya. There you go, mate. I hope you enjoyed that interview and found it helpful. Like Nick said, if you've got any other questions relating to this interview, send them on through. We will do our best to answer them, potentially even get Cliff back on here for another interview. However, until next week, get out there and train hard, but most importantly, train smart.